0: Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that you would not only feel inspired, but that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Here's Pastor Robert Madu. We've been in a series called They Are... Okay, like three of y'all. Okay, cool, cool. They... (laughs) They are us. If you missed it, all the sermons are on our YouTube page. We're a series called "They Are Us." They are us. In fact, would you just say that? Say they, they are, are us. us. Not Toys are Us. They, they are, are us. us. And the idea behind this series is that all of us have a they. Everybody has a they. Somebody that you can look at from a distance and say, oh, I can't believe they think like that. I cannot believe they walk like that. I can't believe they dress like that. I can't believe they vote like that. All of us have a they. And it's easy to be separate from your they. It's easy to criticize your they, especially if you're distant from your they. Because distance always creates distortion. It's easy to criticize your they. But the reality is that God has called, especially social, to have diversity but also unity. That means we're going to have all kinds. In fact, just look around. Look around you. Look around you. Look at all kinds. There's all kinds of different people in here. There's old people in here. There's young people in here. There's all kinds of people in here. And the challenge of having unity and diversity is that all of us have a they. And if you want to ever learn, if you ever want to have unity and diversity, you've got to close the gap between you and your they. And when you do close the gap, you realize they are us. You are not much different than I am. We have more in common than we have in separate. And so that's that's kind of the thesis of this series today. And we've been looking at different characters whose names actually end with us. So last week was Lazarus. Woo, Lazarus and so we're gonna look at another person today go with me to John chapter 3 John chapter 3 in fact I know it feels like it's spiritual aerobics but if you stand up to honor God's word because some of y'all did not have coffee today I can tell it in your face John chapter 3 and I want to look at verses 1 through 9 the gospel of John chapter 3 we'll start at verse 1 land at verse number 9 when you're ready to read it say yeah if you're not ready, say, hold up. All right, somebody say, hold up. I'm away, I'm away. We have a big old electronic Bible behind me, in case you didn't bring yours. So John chapter three, starting at verse number one, it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, yes. a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse six, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how? Can these things be? Translation, I don't understand the words (laughs) that are coming out of your mouth, Jesus. Why are you talking in code? This this makes me laugh. This whole conversation makes me laugh because Nicodemus, who is a scholar, who is a teacher, who is brilliant, he comes to Jesus with a statement, a definite statement, but he leaves Jesus with a question. Because any time you come to Jesus with a statement, I know. I'm sure. <laughs> I promise you, he will make you leave with a question. You ought to come to Jesus with a question, because you also could leave with a statement. Nicodemus, us. Nicodemus is going to teach us today. The title of my message: Uncertainties' Secret. Uncertainties. Secret. Would you look at a person that looks like they're kind of friendly and uh, just look at them and their face and their personal space, get as close as they will let you get close and just say neighbor. Come on, don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor as social. This is social church, not antisocial. Come on, look at them. Say neighbor. (laughs) Ooh, you need to know about uncertainties. Secret. Look at the other person you completely ignored. Come on, say other neighbor. I'm telling you. Your life would change if you knew uncertainties' secret. Uncertainty secret—what you don't know about what you don't know. Right. Balcony, how y'all feeling up there? I'm talking about. Let's pray a long prayer, and then you can sit down. God, you are awesome. Please speak today. Amen. You may be seated. Presence of the Lord. Uncertainties, secret. Ladies and gentlemen, I am proud to announce and glad to say the movie theaters are finally back open. Come on, somebody. Okay, all right, okay, okay. The 15 of y'all that clapped, the 15 of y'all that clapped, we gotta go to the movies together, okay? We going to a movie, whatever, we gonna plan a date, and we gonna go to the movies together. To the rest of y'all that just sat there, y'all get on my nerves, okay? <laughs> Y'all are those Netflix, Hulu-watching people that want to stay inside the house to watch a movie, but the people that clap, y'all are my people because y'all are movie people. Y'all are glad that the movie theaters are back open because you understand that it's all about the experience. Going to the movies. I I hope they never shut movie theaters down. I need the experience. I'm I'm a for real movie aficionado because I show up before the previews. That's the test right there. Those of y'all don't care about movies, those of y'all that didn't clap, y'all come in all late. Y'all, I hate going to the movies with y'all. Y'all, like, it's just the previews. What you mean it's just the previews? It's what I came to see. The only thing better than seeing a movie is seeing a movie you're gonna see next while you're seeing a movie. I wanna see the previews! Go in early to see the previews, because I am a movie fanatic. I love watching movies, and I haven't been back to the movies now that they're open back up, because I am waiting for a specific genre of movie to come into the theater, okay? I don't watch any kind of movies. I have a specific genre of movie that is my favorite. Oh, I love suspense. Thrillers, those are my jam. Come on, I have to see a suspense thriller. If if we were only allowed to pick one genre of movie to watch for the rest of our lives, give me suspense thrillers, okay? You can keep the comedies, you can keep all of the romantic films, you can keep the docu series, you can keep all the Marvel movies, you can watch them to infinity. Y'all can keep Wakanda forever, but for me, I need suspense. I love suspense thrillers when I'm watching a movie. It's all about the mystery for me. It's about the uncertainty. I need a murder to solve. I need a tension to resolve. I need a serial killer to find out. I love watching movies. If I'm watching a movie, here's my test. You gotta make me be on the verge of a heart attack when I'm watching a movie. That's how I know you did your job as a screenwriter. I think that a good movie should be like a good sermon. It needs to elicit verbal response. Come on, you know like when you're preaching a good sermon, somebody's preaching a good sermon, irrespective of your personality, if they're preaching real good, it will make you stand up and say, you better preach make the constipated face. I think a movie should do the same thing. It needs to elicit a verbal response to where you stand up in the movie and just go, don't you go back in the house, you're going to die that is my favorite. I love the suspense. I need it, and it's affecting our marriage. I know I have a problem. It's affecting our marriage. Because even at home, even at home, when Taylor and I are watching TV, the the oddity that we get a night where we don't have to watch Disney Plus. Yes, no Elsa, no Anna, no Mahana. Like, we get to watch what we want to watch. And all the parents up in the room know what I'm talking about. Can I get a shout up in here? Did you ever just that moment? You get to watch what you want to watch. It becomes a fight. It becomes a fight. Because Taylor wants to watch stuff like This Is Us and Gray's Anatomy and all this, yes, no, I'm trying to watch stuff that's gonna help us in real life, okay? <laughs> stuff like Cold Case Files, First 48, Forensic Files, this, this is what I need to watch because I love the suspense. If the movie or the show does not have suspense, if it doesn't have mystery, if it doesn't have uncertainty, then I lose interest. I am uninterested if there is no uncertainty because there's something in the mystery. There's something in the tension about watching a movie and going, I don't know if we are gonna make it through this. What's funny is the mystery and the uncertainty that I love in my movies, I hate in my life. I know it sounds like I'm being a hypocrite, but can I be honest? When it comes to my movie, give me the mystery. Give me the uncertainty. But when it comes to my life, Oh, I want to know. I want to know. When it comes to life, please do not give me uncertainty. Somebody let me know. I am five on the Enneagram. That is investigator. The reason we investigate is because we want to know. I want, If you're going to betray me, let me know. If you ain't going to be faithful, let me know. If you're talking about behind my back, let me know. If you don't like me, just tell me. That's the season of life. I in. Mean, I want to know. I don't want surprises when it comes to life. I don't like uncertainty. I'll never forget when my beautiful wife threw me a surprise birthday party, 30th. Threw me a surprise birthday. Oh, and she got me good. She got me so good. I came out the house in gym shorts. I was the worst dressed person at my surprise party. And I walked in. She got me so good. Everybody was like, surprise! I was like, Ah! ah. What didn't you tell me? I had like six outfits I was waiting to wear. (laughs) So I hate the uncertainty. And I know today's message is for everybody. I know it's for everybody because I don't care who you are under the sound of my voice. I promise you there is something in your life right now that you're uncertain about. Some of you can't even pay attention to this message right now because of the thing in your mind and you don't know how it's going to turn out uncertainty is something that is ubiquitous everybody deals with uncertainty everybody has something in their life that you're going how is this going to turn out and I'm telling you uncertainty can drive you crazy uncertainty can bring anxiety and uncertainty can bring this angst this this gnawing of not knowing can make you lose Your mind. What do you do with the uncertainty of life? What do you do with the things that you don't know about? It's interesting that you really don't even need theology to talk about uncertainty. I actually just look at neurology. Neurology will tell you about uncertainty. Because every single person in here, our brains are actually wired for certainty. Your brain is pre-wired in condition for certainty. Because whenever you go through life, you're actually, since the time you were born, you're constantly taking in information. You're storing that information as memories. And the way you do things is you predict things in your brain. You predict what's gonna happen by combining what you've seen with what you're seeing now. It is wired in your brain to have certainty, to predict things. In fact, prediction is not just something that your brain does, it is actually the core function of your neocortex. I Googled it, yes. (laughs) It is the foundation of intelligence to be able to predict things, that's what your brain does. So in other words, you don't just hear things, you hear what should come next. You, You don't just see things, you see what should come next. You don't just predict things, you predict what should come next. See? If you said anything other than next, you would have lost your mind. You know why? Because your brain is conditioned to fill in the blanks. We crave certainty. As a matter of fact, the pleasure part of your brain actually gets stimulus from certainty. Not even on a high level, even on a low level. Something as low as walking. Did you know that? That every time you walk... Your brain is actually getting pleasure from certainty, because with each step you take, you're knowing, whew, that's solid ground. Yeah, I can walk. been doing this since I was two years old. And each time your foot hits a solid place, did you know this? Your brain is actually getting pleasure from the solidarity of each step. Like, yeah, I got this I'm, until <laughs> until you trip, until you trip. And all of a sudden, you're like, what in the world? Be honest, (laughs) be honest. Have you ever tripped in public and then looked at the ground like it did something like, (laughs) and then looked around to see, did anybody? Yeah, we saw, we saw. (laughs) Oh, isn't it funny? You will spend at least three seconds trying to figure out how in the world. Did, I, I, I knew it. what is Oh, water. See, somebody. See, y'all need to get your water. Somebody spill. You will stand there and analyze the step that you missed. Why? Because you are used to the certainty of each step. But anytime you trip, it makes you stop and analyze how in the world did that happen. I think that's how life works. I think you go through life don't you with certainty this my boo we gonna be married forever oh yeah this is my soulmate. who us yeah we're gonna be married forever and then <laughs> i want a divorce you spend sometimes years trying to figure out how that came because you didn't see that coming parents do it all the time that's why i don't talk about nobody's kids I'm for real. Oh, because the story's still being written. Oh yeah, yeah, my kids will praise, lift up their hands, but the story is still being written. I've seen incredible parents raise their kids in the house of God. My child gonna be a preacher. Ooh, they knew scriptures by the time they were five and they have such certainty until they found out their child's on drugs and addicted and don't know what to do. That is life. And what will trip you up is that you'll spend years sometimes trying to figure out how did this happen because I wasn't expecting it the uncertainty can drive you crazy crazy ladies and gentlemen can I be honest that's all I know how to be this is why I didn't want to be a preacher I did not want to preach this was not my option he picked this <laughs> I wanted to be in movies okay I'm supposed to be in the suspense thrillers okay that was my original plan <laughs> okay I don't want to be a preacher you know why because i don't know of any other profession where you are forced to give certainty to things that people don't know you go to a dinner party you're a dentist all you gonna get asked is man i had this toothache in the back you think they need to pull this thing you a chiropractor all they gonna ask you is about your back man my back has been hurting they ain't gonna ask you about your teeth if you say you're a preacher Get ready for the question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And what about those people who never hear the gospel? Are God going to send them to hell too? And what about this? Conundrums that you don't know. I'm like, can I eat the hummus? Like, can we just chill? Because I don't know. No, this is why I told even in preaching, like even in preaching the Bible. Don't get me wrong. I study. I study a whole lot. But I don't know everything in this Bible. But people assume that you do, and they'll hit you up after service too. They'll be like, oh, Pastor Robert, I really love that sermon. That was great. But I was actually reading in the book of Revelation, and I was wondering, uh, what is your eschatological view on the end times? Are you post trib or are you pre trib? <laughs> I mean, I'm pan trib, homie, okay? I think it's all gonna pan out if you just chillax a little bit. Quit reading Revelation, go to the Gospels or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I literally don't know. And I'll never forget when God took the pressure off of me, Jaden. Took the pressure off to be cool with that phrase. I don't know. Oh, there's power in what you do not know. There is power. People will want you to know things that God is silent about in the Bible. I don't. If He wouldn't wanted us to know, He would have told us. But I'm not going to try to explain God, and that is a challenge when you need certainty and you serve God, who is a mystery. That is the tension of walking with him, is that our brains crave certainty, and yet our God is a mystery. Deuteronomy says that it is our God's glory to conceal things. That God says, I actually have a glory in the stuff you don't know. What do you do? With the uncertainty and some of y'all need to take the pressure just like i took off the pressure and get comfortable with this phrase right here it'll change your life i don't know what's your 10-year plan i don't know trying to make it through the next 10 minutes right now play okay i don't know can you say that with me i think it'll be cathartic for you would you say that say i don't know come on say it again don't. Now, say it like you had some coffee this morning. I, I don't know. Oh, somebody got blessed just from that phrase right there. I don't know. And I'm not going to spend my life trying to answer questions that are beyond me. I don't know. You want to know what my favorite emoticon to send to people is? It ain't the laugh out loud. It ain't the cry smile face. This is my favorite emoticon to send to people right here. I will send that to you (laughs) real quick, especially in this season of church planting. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) I don't know, because there's power in what you don't know. In fact, I think the people that know are the people that have the humility to admit they don't know. And generally, the people that have to be sure that they know don't know. One hip hop theologian said, If you don't know, don't finish it. <laughs> because it's true. If you don't know, now you're actually open to know. My text today, we're dealing with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus' problem is he knows. He knows a lot. I'm intrigued by how little the Bible tells us about Nicodemus. But even in the little it gives us, it tells us a whole lot. First thing it tells us is that Nicodemus is a man. Ooh, that'll preach. (laughs) He's a man because you understand the chapter titles and verses came later. And I actually think that you have to back up into John chapter 2 towards the end to really get the power of the setup for the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. Because Jesus is doing miracles, and immediately people are believing in him. Because of the miracles that he's doing. The Bible says something interesting. It says that Jesus did not commit himself to them, the people, because he knew what was in man. He's like, I know, y'all. And then right after that, it says, there was a man named Nicodemus. It's the setup about humanity. That God knows us. He know, Not the pretense. Not the fake you. He knows you. So Nicodemus thinks he's coming to interview Jesus. But the problem with interviewing Jesus is that if you come to Jesus to interview him, he will flip it and do an interview. (laughs) Like, I'm here for an interview. He's like, cool, I'm interviewing you right now, and I can see everything on the inside of you. And we see it in this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a man. Nicodemus is a Jew. We get his ethnicity. Say that. I'll come back to that later. And then it says that he's a Pharisee. He is a Pharisee. He is a ruler of the Jews, but he's a Pharisee. Would you just say, Pharisee? Pharisee. Say it one more time, because I'm really thirsty. Say, Pharisee. Pharisee. He's a Pharisee. Quick survey. Raise your hand if you think Pharisees are horrible people. Anybody like, you can participate. You think, how many, like, okay, how many of you want to be a Pharisee? <laughs> Anybody think Pharisees are whor- How many of you think they're good people? Okay, how many of you just like, I'm not going to lift up my hand either way? <laughs> no, this is for real. How many of you think, hello, how many of you think, <laughs> y'all trip me out. How many of you think, <laughs> raise your hand, if you think Pharisees are bad people? Okay. How many of you think woo, that they're good people? How are you still not going to participate? Even after I clowned you for not participating? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Ah! There we go. I don't know. I love it. It's interesting when people read the Bible, they typecast people, don't we? And I think for years the Pharisees have been typecast as these horrible people. I mean, come on—they're the ones that caused Jesus the most problems. They're the ones that got him on the cross. They're the ones that got him crucified. Pharisees, horrible, but you don't know. You don't know how the Pharisees initially got started. And I know you don't know because I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know that there were about 6,000 Pharisees when Jesus was on earth. But the Pharisees inception started after the children of Israel were in captivity from Babylon. And they were in captivity because of their idolatry. Because God knows how to get your attention if you refuse to listen to him. He'll let life do it sometimes. The children of Israel refused to obey and they were in captivity. They finally get out of captivity and there was a group of people who said we never want to go through that again we never want to go back God you got our attention have you ever been there before God I'm for real now I will never text them again Jesus I'm for real this was the last time I'm walking up in there they said we never want to go through that again Again, that's how it started. The Pharisees were a called out group of people who made a decision in their heart. They said, we're going to make Jesus, Jehovah, Yahweh, our true and living God. We're not going to worship any other God before him. We want to do what's right. We are not to be in the world. We're, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We want to be separate. We want to be called out. That's how it started. That was the genesis of the Pharisees. But is it crazy about life? that the way things start are not always the way that they end up. Do you know you can start something with a pure motive and it can be so pure when it began, but all of a sudden the way it began is not as what what it's become. Come on, that happens all the time. That, no, nobody starts a church or a ministry and says, I, I think I'm going to have a scandal about 15 years into this. Yeah, yeah, that's why I think I want to have an affair and steal money and just jack up the witness of Jesus. Yeah, that's why I got in the game. Nobody says that. I've never met anybody like that. No, everybody starts with a pure motive like I want to be right the Pharisees were not bad people it became something that it wasn't what it was when it originally started what became as a group of people who just wanted to uphold the law all of a sudden became the law police that started adding to the law and it became legalism so let's just get this typecast out of our minds that the Pharisees are bad people they were not bad people they didn't start as bad people They started off as people that just wanted to honor Jehovah. They wanted to do what was right. That's how it started. But how it started is not what it became. It became something worse. In fact, it's interesting. If you look at the behavior of Pharisees, even when Jesus was walking on the earth, and you look at the behavior of Jesus, I promise you that if you just looked at their behavior, there are moments in the Bible that you would actually say, Jesus is the bad person. And the Pharisees are the good person. I'm trying to. I'm going somewhere. No, I'm for real. Okay, let's go back to the movies. You ever seen a movie where, like, you're watching a movie, and you're like, oh, that's the bad person. Uh Uh-uh, stay away from that character. They are evil. Oh, I like that character right there. She's good. And then by the end of the movie, they flipped it on. You're like, oh. I promise you the Bible is like that if you looked at just the behavior of the Pharisees I promise you you would say the Pharisees are the good people and Jesus is the bad people can I go deeper I'll just give it to you in the gospel of John let's look at the behavior of Jesus in the gospel of John up until what we just read what has he done he's at a wedding they are not sick not lame not blind running out of wine your God my Savior (laughs) His first miracle on earth, not to say Lazarus come forth. His first miracle is like, you know what? I can't let them stop this party. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. DJ, keep playing. Y'all go fill that with water real quick. We're about to turn up. He turns water to what? That's his behavior. Now some of y'all here. well, that was non-alcoholic. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's his first miracle. That's behavior. What does he do after that? He walks up into the church and sees them selling stuff and making it difficult, actually, for people to worship. And he makes a whip and starts whipping people and turning the whole merch table over. That was his behavior. Can you imagine today? Imagine today if I walked up in social with a big old glass of wine and I'm just up here preaching saying, what up, social? And I go back there to the merch table. And I start flipping it over and I start whipping y'all saying, get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> you would think that I lost my mind. Be like, What's wrong with you, Robert? And just trying to be like Jesus. I don't know about you. <laughs> That's his behavior. That's his behavior. What is the Pharisees' behavior? What is their behavior? They've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. 5,300 in verses to memory you still skip Leviticus in your one year reading Bible plan don't sit up here and look at me like that (laughs) they've got the first five books of the Old Testament memorized y'all they fast twice a week they pray every single day they worship they give to the poor that's their behavior Meanwhile, your savior is flipping tables and turning water into wine. But if you just looked at behavior, you would go, the Pharisees are the good guys. So that means Christianity must not be about behavior modification there. It must be something deeper than just changing my behavior. It must be something deeper than just doing the right thing. It must be something deeper than just checking all the boxes and making sure my behavior is good. It must be something deeper than behavior modification. It must be true transformation. Something that is different. Something that you cannot earn. Something that is grace. Something that has to be given to you. Something that you have to see the price that Jesus paid for you and it actually produces a life of righteousness. It's not about behavior modification. Anybody can look holy for five minutes. Anybody can look holy when there's going to be a consequence. There's some people, the only reason they don't steal is because they're going to go to jail. So it's not about behavior. It must be something deeper. Nicodemus It's not a bad dude. Nicodemus represents those of us who want to get it right. Say, God, I just want to get it right. And he wants to get it right so bad that he comes to Jesus at night. I want to get it right. So I'm going to come see the Savior at night. When I first preached this message, I hope it's not on YouTube. I titled it Nick at Night Dom. (laughs) preacher jokes I I, I titled it Nick at night and my emphasis young people, I was preaching to young people my emphasis was that Nick Ademus came at night, came to see Jesus at night, I did what all kinds of preachers do, I tore Nick Ademus up, say y'all like Nick Ademus You want to come to Jesus at night, but you don't want to see him in the daytime. I got real churchy with it too. Especially if I have an organ, you know I can get churchy with it. I said, "Mm, some of y'all are like Nicodemus. You don't want to see Jesus in the daytime, but you want to have a nighttime rendezvous with Jesus. That's your problem right now. You want a part-time Savior, and you just want to seek him at night because you're afraid about what other people going to think about you. But God is looking for somebody Who don't care what other people think And say God I serve you in the night And God I serve you in the morning And God I serve you in the afternoon I won't reduce you tonight That ain't right But I'm gonna (laughs) (laughs) you. Preached at heart Preached it with passion. You messed up, Nicodemus. Why are you seeking Jesus at night? Only problem with that line of thought is I don't know, and you don't know. You don't know that he came to Jesus at night because he was ashamed. You don't know. You don't know that he came to Jesus at night because he was afraid to be seen. Which you, there's nowhere in the Bible you can prove it. In fact, I could prove opposite because he's a Pharisee. And there's actually a saying within the Pharisees that whenever you wanted to study the Torah, the law, the word, who Jesus was, they would say study at night when all distractions are gone and put a candle and study the scrolls at night. Because at night, you are void of distractions. What if he came at night because he actually wanted to get his attention? What if he came tonight because he knew that the crowds would be there in the daytime? And he said, I know there's something real about this savior. I know there's something real that I'm gonna seek him at night. I want some one-on-one time with him. So I'm gonna come at night so I can spend time with my savior. See, this is actually the problem with the church today because I've seen the church for years how people come to Jesus. I can't believe they were coming to church with that outfit. I can't believe they were coming here smelling like that. Why are you judging the way people came instead of celebrating the fact that they just came in the first place? Oh, God, thank you, Jesus, that He came. I don't care that He came at night. I'm just glad that He came. Somebody give God some praise in this place today if you believe it. Thank God that he came. Oh, I'll declare it over social church. I'm just glad you came. Oh, I'm telling you, if you think I'm corny while I'm preaching right now, that's cool. I'm glad you came. If you don't even believe in God, I'm glad you came. If you didn't like the worship, I'm still glad that you just came. Don't judge somebody off how they came or the timing in which they came. At least he came came at night thank God he came at night because I've learned that God will always birth something new in your life at night be careful when you ask God to do something new in your life because it will generally occur in a night season God does new at night he always births something new at night I can take you to Genesis in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. Why is there darkness? Because he's about to create a whole new world and God always does something new at night. Oh, can I preach this thing? Maybe that's why even John begins his gospel by saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made by him. and Without him was not anything made that has been made. And the light shined in the darkness because God always does new at night. No wonder he came at night. When God is going to do something new in your life, it generally will start at night. New starts at night. You don't believe it? Look at a seed. When you plant a seed in the ground, it is covered in dirt. It cannot see the sunlight. But if you keep watering that seed, if you keep putting that seed in the right soil and fertilizing that seed, all of a sudden it will break through the darkness and you will see something sprout out. But you didn't see it when they put the seed in the ground because news new starts at night. You still don't believe me, check your clock tonight at midnight at midnight and how many know not at 1201 or 1202 but a nanosecond after midnight how many know it is a brand new day but it's still dark outside but it has nothing to do with the darkness on the outside the clock will tell you that it is a brand new day irrespective of the night because God does new at night some of y'all old school you remember this this new generation just takes pictures and you see the picture originally any old school people remember when you took a picture you didn't see that picture immediately you had to drive to Walgreens you didn't even know if you had good pictures and you had to drop it off and they say come back in about an hour and while you were at Chick-fil-A they were in there in a dark room taking your negatives and putting some solution on your negatives in a dark place and because your photos were in a dark place you could come back and see the picture clearly not because they exposed it to light but because it was in darkness I'm trying to tell somebody in here today if you are in a dark season if you are in the night season, that's not time to get depressed. That's time to start praising God, saying, I must be getting ready to step into something new, because new starts at night. I wish I had some radical people that would get up on your feet and give God the best praise that you got, like you know that your God will birth new things at night. He'll give you new dreams at night. He'll give you new hope at night. Don't despise the night. Don't despise the dark seasons. Don't lose your mind just because you're in the dark. God brings new things into your life. I feel his presence at night. New happens at night. No wonder he's about to talk about birth. No wonder he's about to talk about being born again. Because every single baby that has ever been born started off in the darkness. Started off in a restricted place where it was dark. New always starts at night. Every person that has ever been born, no wonder he's about to say you gotta be born again. Because a new birth starts at night. Conception doesn't happen in light Conception happens in darkness. Conception happens in a place you can't see. No wonder he's about to tell him you got to be born again. He's about to birth something new in him. And anytime you're on the verge of something new, you'll start off in a womb. A womb. A womb. Would you say womb? Yeah. All of us have wombs. All of us were born in wombs, literally. But I also think that we have wombs spiritually. Because an infant in, how many of you remember your birth? Anybody remember it? i was <laughs> about to wait to see who's a liar. <laughs> you don't remember it. But let me jog your memory. When you were in your mother's womb, you thought that womb was the world. You could hear sounds, hear voices, but if you asked an infant to describe the world, they'd be like, ooh, restricted, dark, a lot of fluid. Because in an infant, the womb is their world. That's all they know. It is not until they are pushed out that they realize The world is bigger than the womb I was in. All of us have wombs. What is a womb? You know what a womb is to me? It is a world of my beliefs. That's what a womb is. A womb is a world of my belief. It says, this is the way it is. This is the way way I see it. What if the way you see it is not the way it is? What if you don't know? What if what you're calling the world is just your womb? It's just your world of belief. And it's not until that paradigm is shattered that you realize, oh, I didn't know. What if your womb is not a reality? Can I really preach it like I feel it? I am. Amazed by the arrogance in our generation of people who think they know. Your belief is now fact, your opinion is fact now, or is that your womb? Is that your word of belief? This week, this week, I posted three of my little humans. And I said, three reasons for me not to lose hope against injustice. Hashtag Dante Wright should still be alive. That's what I posted. All of a sudden I get an inbox, several inboxes, from somebody, it wasn't about race. I said he should be alive. It wasn't about race. To which I replied, Karen? (laughs) 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 No. How do you know? Okay, don't, don't, don't leave yet. I'm not assuming I know. But what I said is, he should be alive. That I do know. I do know that every human life matters. Every, I know that. What am I raised? How do you know? Whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Latin, whoever you are, I promise you, you have some womb, some world of belief that you might think is the world, but it's not the world, it's your womb. And you've got to have an encounter with Jesus and with people who are different than you so that you can have an experience as uncomfortable as it might be. Contractions hurt. <laughs> got to have an experience with Jesus and with people who are different than you to go oh, oh, this is the world I thought it was the woo. this will happen on every level fellas you don't think there's a disparity in the workplace between us and women talk to a woman because you're in the woo. It's why sometimes preachers are the worst people for the gospel. because They only hang out with preachers. <laughs> get out of your womb. Talk to somebody that doesn't even believe in your God. Wombs are the world of my belief. He's trying to get Nicodemus out of his womb because this is a man who thinks that he has the right to have relationship with God by what? His birth. I was born a Jew. We have a covenant with Abraham. I'm justified. And Jesus is like, yo, you don't know. But he thought he did. This is the message of Nicodemus. Is that it is a danger to come to Jesus. Sure of what you know. because it will block you from receiving a deeper revelation of the world he's trying to birth you into. Can I prove it in the text as the worship team comes? I'll tell you his problem was that he knew. Let me show you. Put up John chapter three, verse number two. I want you to see the first words out of Nicodemus' mouth. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, first words out of his mouth, Rabbi, we, First thing you said, we know. No, you don't. You can't even say I know. You don't even have autonomy of thought from the community that you spent your whole life with. We know. No, you don't. We know what? We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. That's what you know? What do you know, Nicodemus? We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's essentially a compliment. It's like, yo, yo, we know. You the man. Jesus bypasses the compliment. You gotta be born again. <laughs> I mean, come on. Somebody came over to you like, man, we know you good. You say, I oh, appreciate it. Now, you need to be born again. Interview. You know? Rabbi, we know. Rabbi means teacher. So he's saying, Teacher, we know you're a teacher. Teacher, we know you're a teacher. You read the rest of the conversation after Jesus lets him know you don't know. He actually kind of clowns him. It says, you're the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? So the teacher says to Jesus, teacher, we know you're a teacher. Teacher, I'm a teacher. can spot one when I see one. (laughs) And as a teacher, I'm going to let you know, teacher, that we know you're a teacher. Come from God. That's the way I see it, because I know. That's your problem, Nicodemus. You think you're having a conversation with a teacher. You think this nighttime conversation is a conversation from teacher to teacher. And as long as you see Jesus as a teacher, you can't be born again. Because if you see him as a teacher, like some of us do, You will only see him as somebody that comes to add something to your life. If I see Jesus as a teacher, think about your teacher. You ain't talked to your first grade teacher in a long time. No, you did what she told you. Why? Not because you liked her. You could have hated your teacher. But they got behavior modification, didn't they? You did what they said. Why? Because you were trying to get to the next level. You did what they said, you were obedient because you were just trying to get to the next grade. You were just trying to walk across the stage. And I shudder to think of the people who approach Jesus as a teacher and you want him to be an addition to your life just so you can get what you need to go to the next level. So yeah, i worship you. I'm trying to get a house. I've seen my credit score. <laughs> so yeah, I'll come to church. I got an interview next week. I need this job. The challenge is he sees him as the teacher. Can you play? It'll make this sound real spiritual. <laughs> Nicodemus, this is not a conversation from teacher to teacher. This is a conversation between a teacher and a savior. And Nicodemus, with all your pedigree, with all your scriptures, with all your birthright of being born a Jew, none of that negates the fact that you need a savior. And if you see me as a teacher, you've gotta start over. Nicodemus, you keep trying to try harder, but Christianity is not about trying harder. It's about starting over. You must be born again. Your womb, your world of belief has to be exposed to a new belief of a salvation in a kingdom that can only be received by grace, not your performance, not your works. You must be born again. You see me as a teacher, I am your savior. Nicodemus didn't get it that night, but he got it later. Because at the end of the conversation, are y'all okay? At the end of the conversation, Jesus makes a weird Old Testament reference. He says to Nicodemus, just as the bronze serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the son of man be lifted up. Jesus, why are you quoting the Old Testament? But do you remember that story in Numbers chapter 21? When the children of Israel, watch this, were out of Egypt, not in the promised land, they were in the wilderness, AKA uncertainty. We're not where we were, we're not where we're going, This is uncertainty, Moses what are you doing? You know stuff comes out of you when you're uncertain. Why are we here? They said take us back to slavery, at least that's certainty. Do you realize that's how bad people crave certainty? they wanted to go back to slavery that's how much we crave certainty in the same way you will go back to a relationship that is toxic to a person that abuses you to a person that doesn't see your value and your worth not because you know it's wrong but because it's certain it's scary in the wilderness that's where they were and they started complaining which is a sin by the way and serpents by God came into the wilderness. And they stopped complaining then, I bet they did. I'm gonna let you know right now, I don't do snakes. All it take was one complaint, as soon as I saw the first one, oh Jesus, I'm sorry, thank you, thank you that you just got us out. (laughs) They were poisoned by the snake, and what did Moses do? He fashioned a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and as they looked up to the serpent, they were healed. Why is Jesus bringing out that reference to Nicodemus? Because he knows he's going to get it later. Nicodemus is the one, John chapter 19, that takes the body of Jesus with Joseph of Arimathea. And he pays the highest price for Jesus' body to be wrapped in precious spices. know why he was willing to pay that money is because on that cross when he saw him lifted up I think he was reminded of the conversation that he had with him at night and he looked up he said wait a that he's more than a teacher. This is the Savior of the world. He is up there for me. He is paying the price for me. And when he looked up, he realized he is more than a teacher. Yes, he teaches, but he is a Savior. And my pedigree won't save me. My status won't save me. My scriptures that I can quote won't save me. There is only one thing that can save me. There is only thing that can wash away my sin and it's the blood that he's pouring out right now I see it now that I need you you're more than my teacher you are my savior that's why I pay whatever price I don't care what it costs me because I see to obey because you're afraid he's gonna knock you upside the head if you don't when you see him as savior when you see him as living the life you're supposed to live and dying the death you're supposed to die and yes you worship it's not out of religion it's out of a thank you jesus for saving me Yes, you read the word, but it's not out of religion. It's like I want to know more about you. If you are this word and this word is you, I gotta get it in me. Do you see the difference? You can be doing all this stuff, Nicodemus. If you see him as teacher, it's religion. If you see him as savior, it's relationship. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Remember, when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to being social.